Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. That's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton. Caught! Touchdown, Chargers! That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the week three edition of the Thunderdown Under Chargers podcast. I am your host, Andy Prophet, joined by the teacher and the creature, Jack Reed and Alistair <laughs> Lloyd. How are you both on this fine spring evening, gentlemen? Fuck, workshop yeah, that one. That was a good one. Yeah, I'm good, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, is, is that because I've stopped wearing my hat on the YouTube and you've just revealed all? Uh, I'm going well, man. I'm going well. Look, Chargers win. I love I love life that much better when the Chargers have a win, man. I love doing this show with you. I love talking to you listeners. I've been doing this around the office, the Tooley <laughs> Tea. No idea why, but I've been doing it. So Chargers get off the schneid and we can talk about it now for about an hour. That's life good. couldn't be better. Amen, brother. How are you, Jack? Very well, very well. Enjoying dad life. It's been incredible to have so much time off. Thank you to my school for giving me that. Molly's going really well. She's growing every day. She's changing. And she got to experience a Chargers win on Monday morning, which was fantastic. Probably heard a few things from dad that I wouldn't like her to repeat, but um, we'll we'll yep. pass over that. So uh, no, very happy. How are you, Hank? How are you going, Andy? I'm doing good, man. Phew, we got the dub. Woo! God, Monday night was... Uh, look, gut wrenching, but palatable. Um, very enjoyable. Drove home, drove home Just. from Al's place after the win, feeling good. I had threatened on that last drive, which we'll get into. Um, that's you know, I might just drive home on the wrong side of the road because team doesn't care about me. I don't care about anyone else. Fuck it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> but I didn't have to. And here we are. We get to talk to all you guys about it. Bolt fam's all feeling good for the most part. Lots more to enjoy on the show tonight, following that triumph in Minneapolis. Jack will regale us with his philosophical findings and learning points out of the victory, and we're going to take a look at our first divisional contest of the season as the team heads back home to Inglewood to take on the 1-2 and two Las Vegas Raiders at SoFi Stadium. So let's get it! Los Angeles Chargers 28, Minnesota Vikings 24. Do we, as Chargers fans, ever not feel like our hearts are simply about to cease to beat while watching this football team? Once again, an 11-point lead, this time midway through the third, dwindled down to a trail by a field goal four minutes into the final stanza. But the defense stands strong. Kenny Murray with the interception in the red zone to tally the Bolts' first win of the season. Justin Herbert was simply incredible. 40 of 47, 405 yards, three TDs at a casual 85% if you don't mind. Keenan Allen still showing there's still tread left on the old tyres with 215 yards from 18 receptions at just under 12 per catch. Not to mention a 49-yard TD pass of his own to Mike Will. Defence that recorded 26 total pressures, six sacks, great team effort. Um... Especially in the pass rush there, plenty more to unpack. But the bottom line, a road win that puts the season's trajectory finally in a positive fashion and then them pretenders, Vikings, fall to 0-3. Jack, over to you. What did you find to be the most important item from Sunday's victory? Uh, Mr. Flores, please come and have a seat. What seems to be the issue today? 
Doc, I'm really, really annoyed. Oh, why? What's, what's going on? This cream that you gave me, it has not worked. I said, well, but uh, what's your ailment? Oh, no, no. It's, it's the Zero Blitz cover. Cover Zero Blitz. What is it again? I can't remember. Oh, well, I gave you this last time. Is it not working? No, it did not work. I don't know where I was going with that one, but... Uh, yeah, I so it. poor old Brian Flores. Uh, this time he's not in Miami, but he is in colder, far colder Minnesota. Um, his cover zero blitz did not work. Justin Herbert was blitzed in, in that cover zero look almost the most in recent memory um, since they've been taking stats. Was it NGL or something was being bandied around Alistair? Uh, he was simply stunning, I thought. He made all the right reads. Phenomenal. All the right reads when he needed to in some. If you watch JT Woods, uh, JT O'Sullivan, I should say, um, YouTube, there are a couple of reads where maybe he had a touchdown and he made a more difficult throw to Ken and Allen. But uh, what a performance. It was the Justin Herbert that I would love to see uh, more of as the season goes on. No, nah, it was awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I was just going to say, first ever player to record over 300 yards against the Blitz, and he was blitzed on 40 of 47 attempts just to uh, follow on with that topical ointment little diatribe of yours, Jack. Um, Not normal. It was, it was great. <laughs> All manner of record was broken. We've got Keenan Allen having a career high in receptions and receiving yards. Also the most games with 15-plus receptions in the history of the NFL. And just building on like layer upon layer of what we expected to see when we hired Kellen Moore, I thought. Last week, there were a bit of the jitters, like they were forcing the run a lot, I thought. This week, in fact, I think what we're learning about Kellen Moore is he has the patience of a saint. He will not get sick of just taking a first down if you're going to give it to him. And with Brian Flores with his cover zero cream, Kellen Moore just said, okay, don't get broke taking a profit. Wide receiver screen. We threw 11 of them. It continued to work. And it credit to the offensive line and the running backs, although, as I'm sure we'll get into, they, they didn't always hold up in pass pro. But it's no mean feat to stop seven guys coming at you time after time and not even allow Justin to get hit. Yeah. I reckon he was barely touched in that game. So real credit to the offensive line and the whole offense to have a plan that they were able to execute in the moment when they saw the way the defense was going to play. Fantastic. Absolutely credit where it's due for the uh, offensive line. But the thing I thought about uh, that was, you know, we know that Herbert's capable of doing this sort of thing, but it was the, the pocket presence and the awareness, as you said, Al, it was just that ability to maneuver out of the way. It's six foot six guy. Like he's, is pretty agile and he can get out of the way. And um, he was able to extend players, use his legs. Maybe you want to say that a little bit more, but, uh, we always harp on about that. Um, it was it was a really awesome watch. And talking about the the wide receiver screens, it was understanding that every time that happened and the defense, especially the DBs, read that they would just rush downhill off their man. It really allowed mm. perfect placement for that double pass. So you you saw that as soon so as clever. that ball went deep, you caught it immediately. He's throwing it, and we just saw. The DBs rushed down towards um, towards the line of scrimmage. Whoop! Didn't have to be a perfect throw, and it wasn't. Mike Will had to come back a little bit to get it, but peace, son. See you later. There uh, was very exciting, very exciting um, things from that offense. Uh, Jack, I want you to talk to me about our second round edge rusher, Tuli Tuipilotu. 
Mm. Because uh, what a start to his career he's having and uh, what a damn game. Awesome. What do you think? I think most people would watch that game and go, who is that guy? He's popping off. He is fast. Even in pass coverage a couple of times, I mean, he wasn't graded particularly well, but he's, he moves really well laterally. When he had that preseason game and I did a little bit of a diatribe on him and the way that he sets offensive linemen up and he has a couple of tools in his arsenal, I still thought that he was, you know, I didn't think he was going to be as good as what I've seen in the last couple of weeks. What really stands out to me is just the speed. Uh, Joey Bosa is a technician and we knew that coming out. He's got a lot of power. Khalil Mack is a power player. I can't remember the last time seeing a guy on the edge for the Chargers with the sort of the, the speed to power ratio that Tooley has. And he's only 21 years old, which is staggering. So yeah, he this week he got the big numbers. He got the nine pressures or nine rushes. Um, he, got, he got those sacks. Mm. But don't discount, and I'll talk about a little bit in my teachable moment, but don't discount what he's learning from uh, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Uh, but we've found, a, we've found a special player there. Looks like he's a he's he's gonna only improve, which is fantastic. Big time, man. I know I've jumped straight from Herbert over to the defense, but the defense is the one that's really causing uh, the fans and the social media and just you know the the NFL world surrounding the Chargers just a little bit of concern. You know, we're not we're not ranking high, and we're we're giving up bulk pass yards and stuff. So I feel like we've just got to really get into into this defense and. And what we saw was different this week uh, to what we've seen so far this season. Like Sebastian Joseph Day, I thought he possibly had his best game as a charger. He was up in Kirk's face a lot, registered a sack. Um, you know, that pressure really got to the Vikings uh, at a time where they developed the, the run game. Um, they were just running the ball. Kevin O'Connell goes, you know, we know we've got weapons. They're going to expect us to to throw to them to get the ball to to Jettis. and we've got KJ Osborne, Jordan Addison. Let's run the ball because we'll have them sitting off. We'll have a little bit of space between the line and that sort of intermediate to secondary level, and it worked for them. Um, but that pressure that the Chargers line was starting to generate, you know, it was causing Cousins had that intentional grounding penalty. There was there was uh, offensive line false starts starting to creep in. We we're just muddying the pocket, yep. hitting him. We didn't have to blitz necessarily because we had guys getting home, and um, the pressure on uh, Kirk was was showing. He was he was making mistakes and um, giving us an opportunity as a defense. Um, and heck, like after they rushed the ball a bunch in the first first quarter, it was Aloha Gilman who stood up and forced that uh, fumble on TJ Hawkinson to get the ball back. So um, it was there was some really special efforts. We yeah, twice. Hmm, twice. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yes, get in, exactly. we'll get into that because mm. I'm, I'm re- I've uh, I've cooled off after losing my mind at the um, at the refs. Oh then. man, did you ever? <laughs> I don't think I was wrong because everything I've heard, it's it's everyone's in my corner with that. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more. But I thought there were there were moments where we knew we were going to have a bit of a bit of a battle up our sleeves, especially with JC Jackson in his uh, in his civvies on the sideline as a healthy scratch. Wow, interesting to get stuck into that as well. Al, do we, uh, yeah, I was I was, was going to say I was going to say you, you touched on it really well, Andy. I mean, SJD had a great game, but Alistair, 
I said it last week. Do we just need to come to terms with the the, the, the interior of the defensive line just not being very good? And we're just going to have to give up yards and we're going to hope the pass rush gets home. What that's I'm coming to terms with it slowly. We're not going to be a, a top five or a top 10, I don't think, um, pass, uh, rushing defense. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. It's a continuation of a tale of more than two years, unfortunately, now. And, you know, you can't... You can't really see where the improvement's coming from because that those are our defensive tackles. One of the guys, Austin Johnson's returning from a serious knee injury. I actually think Nick Williams is batting, battling away fairly admirably in yeah. there. He flashes a few times a game. But, you know, this week, a, 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 def- a, a rush offense that had been impotent had 130 yards against us on 24 carries. That's an average of 5.4. That's not what you want. We saw the same issues again when they did run outside the tackles. They did seven attempts at that, 61 yards. Yeah. And they had six runs of 10 plus. So I don't know. Look, I I think you can look at this defense, see where they're ranked. Obviously, there are real issues with pass coverage. The two things we've got to look at if we're going to try and be optimistic about the future is the fact that we're getting pressure up front, which Andy spoke about. But then if there's something about the the Fangio-Staley tree defense that is supposed to work, it's this idea of bend but don't break. It really is. The idea is we don't mind giving you some yards on the ground. We're going to stop touchdowns and explosive plays. We're not doing the latter, but we are doing the former. The Vikings faced 10 plays in the red zone on their final two possessions, and we did not give up a single yeah. point. So this game doesn't look good because we've given up whatever it is, 450-odd total yards to the Vikings, 475. But if you had said before the game, Jack, would you take the Vikings' final score being 24 points? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, with Justin and, and also with Justin Jefferson's stat line, you know, that we, well, I thought we played him pretty well for the first quarter and a bit. He was fairly quiet. Then he started to cook a little bit as, as um, he started to read Staley's defense a little bit. Yeah, maybe I would have taken 24 points. But is this team built in a way that we go, all right, Kellen Moore's going to put up close to 30 points a game. Kellen Moore and Herbert are going to put up 30 points a game. Let's not try to give up big plays. Let's not try to give up big quick touchdowns, let teams run the ball, run the ball on us. And I saw a really interesting, or we were having a really just interesting discussion, you know, about the, the spacing of the field. It seems to me we get absolutely caned when it comes to open field, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 yard touches. But when it comes to red zone defense, I don't know these numbers because it's just come to me now. But with the field compressed a little bit, we looked okay. We held up. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the the fourth down call in a second and what that meant. Um, but but the defense played, I thought, in that end zone in when it came down to it relatively well. So, yeah, I would have taken 24 points, but I would have liked to see it keep us under 20, given that Staley's meant to be the value-add head coach here. You know, he's, he's the defensive head coach. He's well, meant to be bringing this system in. Uh, anyway. Well, at this stage, maybe the value-add is the fourth game fourth down game management decision making. So why don't we get into that? So of course it's been done to the death at this point, but Chargers uh, fourth and one, they're up in the game by four points. They're at their own 24 yard line. There's a minute and 51 seconds left. No timeouts for Minnesota. They choose to go for it on a fourth and one. It's probably a longish one. So it's not fourth and inches. 
maybe Andy, you can start with this one. So look, after these things happen, there's always the fourth down bot that come pops up on Twitter where someone who's created a, a calculator, an algorithm, will say, if you go for it, your win probability increases by X. And if you don't, it doesn't. Tau897 on Bolts from the Blue has written a very good article, which I'll post on the comments, kind of teasing out all the contextual factors. What was your feeling watching live? And how do you feel about it now in the cold light of day? I think watching live, it was the right call to go for it. Uh, I feel like, like Jack, I, I feel like all the pieces kind of work together. Jack makes a good point about we're more susceptible with a bigger field when we're stretched, um, especially unable to sort of have the, the tools to cover Jefferson. Um, and we've played so well in, in compressed field in the red, in the red zone defensively. Um, you know, you, you get that first down, you get that one yard and it's, it's game over. They've got no timeouts. You've got another set of downs minute 50 on the clock. You can work that to, to burn the rest of it and then punt with what, five, 10 seconds left. You're laughing. No, three knees. It's a hundred percent or whatever. Yeah, anyway, yeah. whatever. <clears throat> You're right. Game over. If you get Fair the one yard. So right decision to go for it. Play call. Probably not the right one. We had we were playing against a run defense that had been quite porous. DeAndre Swift took them for an absolute ride the week before, 257 yards uh, mm. off his own back. Mm. And we were 15 attempts, excluding this play, maybe 14 attempts for 30 yards. And it wasn't working. And that's why Herbert probably threw the ball 47 times. But he had the hot hand, and you just roll with that. He gave it to Josh Kelly, who had... At the end of the day, 11 carries for 12 yards. And I'll do the math for you. That's 1.1 yards per attempt. And it's shit ass. <laughs> and it, and, and uh, Spiller had, well, I don't know, one carry for three yards or two for four or something. Un, uninspiring. So to to not sort they the way they set up in the I formation, I was thinking, oh, finally, we're going to get a bit of a, a QB push a la... Jalen Hurts and his tight ends and his running backs when they get behind him and force him over the line. Herbert's six foot six. I just don't understand why you wouldn't do it and why people aren't cottoning onto that. Just because it's not in your playbook doesn't mean that you can't add it in. So to to rush Kelly um, just seemed like a really weird option. You couldn't even get... Um, you know, like a Keenan on a, on a quick hitter or Gerald Everett or a Parham for a one yard mm. gain, you know, just sort of put it up out wide. I don't know. It just seemed really odd. And yeah, that was. Well, we should, we should say for the listeners who might not subscribe to The Athletic and read Daniel Popper's articles, their idea is they, they lined up in the same formation that they used against the Titans last week. You'll remember the pitch on fourth down where they faked to run up the middle and pitched out to Darius Davis. They had the exact same thing with Darius Davis in that position, hoping that the, you know, the Vikings would think they're running the same yep. play. Two defenders were ready for it, and we didn't. We've gone up the middle, but unfortunately, they were ready for that too. So that's the well, context. Well, we've just waxed lyrical about how good Kellen Moore has been on you know, throwing the screens and, you know, and, and understanding that we're not producing on the ground, so we've got to get yards and we'll take the first down. But unfortunately, in a play caller's mm. uh, life, these you can have 20 great plays, but it's that one moment that then defines what happens in the game. So Absolutely. is it Kellen and that's Moore's... What everyone, that's what everyone will remember you for. You know, Correct. When that one doesn't work and 
And it, it yeah. just worries me when it's like, well, okay, Kenan Allen is having a career game. Justin Herbert is having a career game. Kelly is, as you clearly did fantastic maths, far better than I could ever do, 1.1 <laughs> yards per carry. And, we've, and we've, tried to, we've tried to be a little bit too cutesy when it's just like, well, if the sledgehammer's working, why do you pull out a pate knife? You know, just use the sledgehammer again. I don't know. Not a, uh, <laughs> that's a weird analogy. I don't know. Well, Staley was almost chopped yeah. liver after <laughs> that game. So it was so, that close. Yeah, it's, it's, it was, I hated it. I didn't like it on first. Uh, I didn't, I didn't you like hated, the call. You hated the decision or the call? I, I didn't like both. both. So I, I didn't, okay. I didn't like the, mm. the, the going for it. I thought punt it, you know, make them work 70, 80 yards. Then yeah. I started to think halfway through when the plays, I said, actually, no, this is, we're not up by, Three, we're up by four. That makes sense. Um, but Tao's yep. article was great because I love that it was Baldwin, I think his name is, the model. And I, the three disclaimers are fantastic. Is The first one is, these are yeah. estimates. Please use accordingly. The second one is, on fourth and one, the model cannot show whether it's a long one or a short one. A shorter distance would favor going. Yep. And then it says, do not use this in overtime. And the fourth one is, use this model with extreme caution in the final minute of a game as the model is not good with end of game clock scenarios. <laughs> so... Yeah. Awesome to use a predictive model, but when it comes with that disclaimer, that's kind of like, uh, okay, maybe not. Anyway. Well, I'm, I'm going to, before we move on, uh, I'm going to chuck a few things in there that in the cold light of day, I've been able to look at and consider and add these puzzle pieces to the puzzle. Uh, Harrison Phillips probably gave Lindsley the, the roughest trot of the offensive line, a lot of pressure up the middle and Lindsley, yeah. Lindsley struggled a bit. When you compare that to the guard mm. play from Zion Johnson, Jamari Salia, they were awesome. Lindsley was copping it a bit and PFF yep. shows that too. So that kind of condensed formation, move the ball up the, up the middle, bit of a struggle. On top of that, JK Scott had a stinker. So if you're relying on the punter, who's had one kick of 52, and a couple of shanks, essentially, one had a really bad bounce. Are you giving them, are you forcing them into the length of the field or are, you, are they getting the ball back at their 40 or something where they've got two minutes essentially to move the ball? Well, he had a 27 yard punt on the, on the, at the end of the first drive. Uh, and I don't want to spoil my yeah. awards too much just yet, but like th that's got to factor into it. That's got to be playing in the mind of going, hang on a minute. Like he's not having a good day. Do we really want to? risk it by having a maybe a 35 yard punt or something that's returnable um i think that adds up a little bit but ultimately it didn't work and kenny murray was doing his best enrique iglesias i can be your hero baby picking it up finishing the game just how chargers used to lose games with a red zone interception it's just sweet when the shoe's on the other foot jack you were going to interrupt me what have you got yes um i did I, I you you made a really good point the offensive line bar Corey lindsley did have a very good game um i'm actually gonna and then pff would, would Pip, suggest pipkins that. got beat a bit too but yeah, yeah i mean he's but he's, he's but he's, he's, playing at a, he's playing at a decent clip. Um, yeah. But perhaps when you when you look at Corey Lindsley's offensive grade, it's you know per PFF is near the fifties, which is low. 
don't discount how much work he has to do when there's constantly blitzing going on. He's the guy that's sure. he's the guy that's diagnosing coverages, and he's the guy that has to pick up what's going on. Um, he's the guy that would be saying, "Hey Zion, you've got here. Hey Slater, you've got there, there, there." So he's actually probably doing quite a lot of work at the line of scrimmage. And unfortunately, with him, when you look at your eyes, um, he's the guy that's always just getting to a block or sort of falling over. Um, but um, but but Good I call. think without Corey Lindsley, I think that game is actually quite different. And I think that the 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 pressure gets to Herbert. So a bit of an unsung hero. I haven't seen that analysis anywhere. So Corey Lindsley, thank you for your service. For sure. Good call, Jack. What did you make of the officiating in this one, Andy? Because uh, I saw I saw some of your visceral reactions on the spot. So uh, charges are penalized 12 times in this one for 94 yards compared to the Vikings six. Maybe you can speak about both aspects. If you, th- you know, the, the parts that you thought were unfair and then the bits where we need to pull our head in or just yeah it's generally it's interesting. your thoughts um, off the top uh, a friend of the show Jamie Hoyle uh, described the officiating as dog shit or horse shit or some other kind of farm animals feces and I agree <laughs> with him wholeheartedly and I, I ferret I do, shit I reckon <laughs> I don't uh, no they're probably little pellety things this is like big steamy fucking turds i don't ah pig shit i, I don't see. uh okay <laughs> our fecal reporter alistair thank you uh i don't <laughs> necessarily believe that it was solely one-sided um i think there were a couple of instances where the, i think look it i feel like it favored minnesota um more so than uh it favored us we probably had a couple of um calls that went our way but instances like Call, like the Madison fumble that was called dead for forward progress, no live whistle. Sean, Sean Smith had as much ball. control over that game as a hungover dad with five kids hopped up on red Kool-Aid at a shopping center. It was an absolute shit show. Had no idea what was going on half the time, looking over everywhere. There was no live call that the play was called dead and a fumble. Um, I think we kept that to three points, but that brought the game back to, to four. Yep. And, Shocking. you know, if that had gone for seven, we, you know, it, scores would have been level and could have been a completely different end of game scenario. Uh, the Derwin James uh, unnecessary roughness was pretty soft. That was cow shit pretty as well. Soft. <laughs> pretty soft, I thought. But it the fact is, like... Look he's, the shoulder. Got, he's he's now had two weeks in a row yeah, where he's making kind of dumb calls. So, but on the other mm. side, uh, mm. I think it was Harrison Smith hit and forgive me. I think it was Mike Williams. Oh yeah. Nailed, he was getting tackled and nailed him. Williams or Palmer, one of them. It was led with the helmet, hit him in the face and nothing called there. And I, I said, come on, what's going on there? And nothing. And then they call that one. I'm like, you, you got to be kidding me, right? And how about Justin was... Herbert getting around the neck again? They're getting put on the ground, and then Jimmy yeah. G gets like touched, and it's a uh, personal. F- I the officiating this weekend has been terrible, terrible. That's okay. terrible. Piss me off. So I'm not yeah, alone. and it, and if you're listening and you're a Vikings fan, or you know Nick or Dom, and you think we're sucking about the officiating, start your own podcast. <laughs> start your own podcast. We're Chargers fans. Find your own electrician or teacher, dad, or you know lawyer, and start your own bloody podcast. We're talking about how the Chargers got robbed on two calls that cost them minus three yards in a game where the team won by four points. And this was that close, boys, to the season being over. And we got this close to uh, 
potentially a firing. If Brandon Staley goes for that fourth down, we fail and then we lose 0-3, I shudder to think what the discourse after the game would have been. It was already hell to pay. Lest we forget that Brandon Staley's decision to go for it on fourth and one in the first half led to a Donald Parham touchdown, seven points instead of a three-point field goal. So he was plus four for the game. I wish we just had more of a balanced discussion about these things, but we tend to remember the ones that don't work. Yeah. It's just how our minds are oh, wired. Yes, I, Sorry, Sorry I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you straight back on, on the hot seat. It, it, were you going to talk about JC Jackson, Andy, or was you, were you going to add to that discussion at all? Because I, my next question is going to be, where, where are we at with JC Jackson? He was a healthy scratching. I thought there was something more to it. I remember saying in the chat, I said, there's got to be mm. some issue here. Why would this happen? Um, it's very weird that the Chargers have signed someone like this because since... I can remember the Chargers have been a no dickhead policy. They've been a, a, a high character. Let's sign guys of high character. JC Jackson doesn't seem to be like one of these people. Um, what's going on? Was it a, was it trying to make it nasty, get the defense nasty? Or what's what's your read of it as a lawyer first, um, litigiously, and then maybe as, a, uh, as just a fan? Well, I'm not, look, I'm not apprised of all the facts. What's been reported is that JC Jackson was driving recklessly around 100 miles per hour a couple of years ago in 2020 on a, on a freeway, well over the limit. It led to some charges. He was supposed to attend a class for reckless drivers and he was ordered to pay a fine. And then he didn't show up to the hearing. So a warrant was issued for his arrest. It's careless stuff. It's really easy to have a lawyer attend on your behalf. So you question just the mindset and the, the um, organ, organization, like uh, skills and your abilities as a professional athlete to get your house in order. Uh, and there were some issues around non, not paying alimony a year ago. So there's some stuff there. And if you take it all the way back to the very first episode we ever did, where Andy got us off to that start talking about Khalil Mack, and then I talked about JC Jackson, we mentioned that he grew up in one of the poorer cities in all of the United States and had some harrowing childhood experiences. And these things can kind of shape your life, especially when you come into eye-watering amounts of money, you know, guaranteed money. I, to answer your question more specifically, Jack, I kind of th think they just got excited and attracted by the, the idea of a shutdown corner, which Staley needs to operate his defense the way he wants to, the way we've spoken about. And I'm sure they would have been alive to these issues. They just thought in our culture, in our setting, mm. we could work on it. I don't think there was a lot of news about things going wrong for the previous four years in New England. It's just a shame because the discourse around him is very difficult because he's being a buffoon and he's not playing well on the field, but he's also suffered a couple of incredible injuries. He's essentially not played like oh if you could unwind this deal you'd do it straight away you'd go nope didn't work fucked up unfortunately we signed him to 80 million dollars he has elective surgery in his first training camp comes back plays like shit smashes his patella tendon which is essentially a career-ending injury for most people it happens to and what what do we do from here what i'll throw it to you andy so assuming that there's nothing legal that impedes him from playing, which is, I think, safe because he was at practice today in full pads. 
let's assume he's healthy. Do you see him? Do you see him coming back in the team? And would you put him back in the lineup? Yes, I would. Uh, I think it's important to have the option, um, even if he's. So it's one of those things, even if he's not necessarily playing that well, it's just good to have the additional rotational piece. Like not having him suited up, I think was a statement from Brandon Staley to say, you're not playing up to it. Um, we will find a way. doesn't matter what it costs the team, but we're not just going to play you because we pay you, which is an odd kind of philosophy, but it's like a, a team first and like you've actually got to perform in order to be on the field. A statement to him, he looked pissed off. He wants to be out there. You know, you saw everyone has seen how hard he's been working in the in the offseason to get fit again, to get back into the team. He's not playing well. He's not just getting given reps. Um, so I thought it was odd. And now, I guess, once again, in the cold light of day, I kind of understand the angle that Staley's come from. He was pretty ambiguous, though, in his press conference. You know, there's anything, anything is a possibility. In when asked, is there a, a world where you suit him up but don't start him? Yeah, sure. I feel like it was a statement and a, like a, I'm challenging you now as coach to CB1, whatever, um, to fix it. Start performing at training. Start being a leader of your defensive backs group and then. You know, hopefully that will translate. Whether or not that will make it translate, I, I I can't tell you. I don't think anyone can tell you other than whatever goes on inside JC's head and his ability to to get better. Um, I did think it, yeah, like I said, I did think it was interesting, but I think it was a, a statement and a, a bit of a deliberate ego smusher from Coach Staley to uh, not suit him up. But like... If you're suiting up Dean Leonard instead, I don't think I saw him play a defensive snap. And Michael Davis is not playing the type of football that he was in the back end of last year when he replaced JC as a starter. Um, he looks he's not he looks like he's getting beaten to every punch. And Al, you made a good point offline a couple of days ago about him just sort of looking like he's slow to get back up and, and injured or it just looks he's showing his body language is as negative as at times I thought Kevin O'Connell's was when Kirk Cousins was shit in the bed in the game. Yeah. Um, really wears it out. And look, that's it's all well and good to be passionate and proud of um, of what you're doing, but it's a real it's a real tough one. Um, there was rumors of JC getting traded to to Dallas, and when I heard that, I was like, "Fuck it, do it." If you can get if you can get Jerry to pay without uh, Trayvon Diggs now, just do it. But What's the alternative? Um, we don't have a guy with the sort of the size or the the coverage ability. As Sante's small and he's getting beaten by big guys. Um, Credit, Michael Davis isn't day, playing though. that well. Asante did. He did. Have a good he did day. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I thought it was up and down. Like I saw his grade, which is through the roof. He was targeted ten times. Like, look, I thought he was our best corner. Put it that way. And, so and I agree also, with you. Hmm. But if that's our best corner, we're giving up a lot of yards. I'm talking as a season as a whole because you yeah. know, he had moments in week two where he, you know, just think of that 70-yard reception to Traylon Burks. He, he just looked like he was fighting in two weight divisions higher than his own. Um, so to just have that diversity in your in your group is more beneficial than than leaving them out. Do you think but, it goes, goes maybe, past that, Jack? 
But maybe, but maybe that's what made Michael Davis so good last year is because the moniker of CB1 was handed to him and he had that confidence. All of a sudden, this guy's played at a career best level, Michael Davis, and then um, all of, you know, JC Jackson comes back quicker than normal. All of a sudden, there's a weird hierarchy restructure in the cornerback's room, especially with Asante and the slot and all this kind of stuff going on. I, and, and Michael Davis, to me, seems like a fairly like a quieter guy and quite an insular person. So I do wonder whether that yeah. motivation of, you know, you have to work for it, you have to work for it rather than actually just putting an arm around and saying, Hey man, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be CB2. You're going to be CB1. Um, you know, and JC Jackson is known as a bit of a talker, a bit of a loud mouth, bit, you know, a bit braggadocious perhaps. And so is Asante Samuel. And, you know, you've got Davis just sort of sitting in the corner there being, Hey man, I'm just here for a good time. So, I don't know. Maybe. It's that 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 uh, whatever happened in the off season with this battle just clearly hasn't worked. Um, G- Gilman, can they fix it, Jack? You're the teacher of us. Can they fix it? Because right now it's looking like we're going to have a defense that is ranked thirtieth and an offense that's ranked third. And then how the hell do you justify keeping Brandon Staley? I guess it depends how many games the team wins. But can they fix it up? I think. Well, Andy, you said it. It was a statement to sit. JC Jackson, and that's a statement to the whole CBs, if not the whole locker room, do go like, listen, these are the standards that we held ourselves to, both on and off the field. So, um, yep, we're paying you $82 million, $82.5 million a year, but that's not good enough. And we're going to make you stand on the sideline and watch. Hmm. I don't know if that's... See, that decision can go two ways, depending on how much sway JC Jackson has in the locker room. Um, Chances are that I think people like... Joey Bosa, maybe not Joey Bosa, but Khalil Mack, Derwin James might keep him in line. Credit where credit's due. Kenny Murray has now put together what I feel, PFF would disagree, a couple of really good games. So um, something, you know, things are improving. But and, and you know what? And it's really worked for Gilman. I feel like last year there was a bit of a weird Glad thing between... Him between him and um, Nazir Adderley, you know, when there was the Cleveland game, when Gilman played really well, all of a sudden Nazir Adderley was playing again and this and this, all of a sudden Nazir Adderley is retires, unfortunately, due to, um, due to injury. And then Gilman, you know, mate, you've got the starting role, perform. And credit where credit's due, he's playing pretty well as a free safety. You know, he's, he's making impact plays. Know your troops. He was great. Gilman was yeah. great. Gilman was yeah. really good on the weekend. Really yeah. bloody good. That's it. Um, it's um, but I guess, impressive uh, I to guess, see his, his rise. I guess what wasn't good, and uh, Al, you've just sort of put it up in the chat, is the Mike Williams injury, which is very, very yeah, sad. Yeah, sad stuff. Very sad stuff. Um, <clears throat> never like to see that. Uh, never like to see a, a, a player's season ended. Um, confirmed from the MRIs, torn left ACL. Uh, on the replay with the little bit of kind of sports medicine background that I've got, uh, yeah, it looked like a lot of lateral movement when he planted and no bueno. Al, do you think this that's the last time we see him as a charger? Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say yes, mm. just because of the way the contract's structured, some tough calls are going to be made and the way Keenan's playing, you know, I think one of those two isn't a charger next year. So unless... I don't even want to say it. Yeah, don't. Unless, uh, yeah. Yep. So Keenan's doing very well. So at the moment, he's the one who's earning his place as a long-term charger. And then it's really sad. I've got kind of got a, I've been thinking about, you know, when you lose a $20 million player, they're the types of players you can least afford to lose, obviously. 
We lost Mike Williams the same week that we lost Rayshon Slater in for the season last year yep. against the Jags. And there are these questions like, is there any player who losing them means you can no longer win a Super Bowl? It's unattainable. Uh, that's kind of a philosophical question. But if you believe in that, I would have thought Mike Williams is one of those five guys, probably, that it's he's tough to replace and it might just put a bit of a, a, a limit on the ceiling of the team or at least some surprise is going to have to happen, right? Tooley's playing like a bat out of hell. If QJ can step up, maybe that's it. What do you reckon? Yeah, I tend to agree with you the way that the contracts are. Um, we spoke a fair bit over the offseason about the the likelihood or lack thereof that all four of Mac, Bosa, Allen and Williams would be on the team next year. And we just the way that it's structured to, to keep them while we go all in. And this is kind of that, that window year where we've got those four players. Um, Keenan's still playing really well. Mike's on big money and now has like quite a severe injury history and he'll miss um, 12 months. Yeah. It's sad, man. Like it's, Keenan's Keenan's game overshadowed Mike's for sure, but Mike still had seven of eight for 140 maybe. He went at like 17 per catch, had the touchdown catch, and he just has he has elements to his game that um we no one else had does or we're yet to see from from Quinton Johnston. So it's um it's a real tough one. It's a real tough one. Uh Anything further, fellas, before we move on, Al and I are going to do our Yeah, Nah, Nah, Yeah awards. So, Al, do you oh, want to take take Jack? I was going to say just the pass blocking from the running backs needs a lot of improvement. Difficult day yeah, that's a really good uh, in, in cover zero, but there are numerous times when you see Herbert speaking to Kelly or speaking to Spiller especially. And, Alistair, you pointed out that one of Spiller's strong suits coming out of college was his ability to pass block. Uh, what I saw on... Uh, Monday morning was not a particularly strong outing. Granted, there are all sorts of different stunts and pressure was coming in everywhere. But if Kelly and Spiller want to make an impact on the game when they're not running particularly well, they have to be better in pass blocking. Yeah, it's where we miss Eckler. Well, we miss Eckler everywhere, to be honest. Please play, Austin. Please, I'll give you some money out of my paycheck. Please, man, come on. Which is not much. Some of your some of your shiny playing cards, hey? Yeah. Dish them out. Yeah, yeah. I can give you a signed Herbert card <laughs> if you want. That's worth you know, a couple of hundred US dollars. Might be. Yeah, that'll get him over the line. He wants seven million more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got seventy thousand of those, dude. Ah, oh, golly. Yeah, look, the tight end, the tight end blocking is bullshit. And I made a comment this week offline that I wasn't going to grace his name on the show today, and I'm not. No, but. Don't say Listeners, it. if you know if you know how I feel about number eighty-eight, then you can just put the pieces together yourselves. Um, all right, Al, you have the Nah Yeah Award. Nah Yeah. So this week we've discussed him a bit. It goes to Alohi nice. Gilman. Nice. He's a player who, at the start of his career, I thought Nah. You know, he's five foot ten, two hundred pounds, sixth round pick, Notre Dame special teamer was pretty bad in his first year, but he's just slowly come along. In this game, he had an 85.6 PFF grade. He should have had two forced fumbles in the game. That one forced fumble is taking points from the Vikings. 
And so far this season, his grade is a 74.3 overall. His previous career high was 58.8. So fantastic game, Alohi. Keep it up. You're one of the few players on the defense who can stand up and say, I'm a good NFL player at the moment. Yeah, nice. agree with that and definitely needed praise after this week. And with Derwin's hamstring injury, uh, it's going to be an interesting little roundabout in the safety positions um, as to where JT Woods fits in, where Raheem Lane fits in, if Derwin does miss time because uh, that, that hammy was heavily strapped up. Uh, as for the Yeah Nah Award, I had a couple a couple of thoughts. I did also already kind of speak about sort of special teams kickers. I liked the fact that we put Dicker in for that 53 attempt. Shame that it went wide left. JK Scott had just not a great day. Um, but I think I'll just change course a little bit and it's become, it's become, it's going to be a, a pressing moment because of the loss of Mike Williams. But uh, there were moments of Josh Palmer's game that really shit me to tears. That fumble, tuck the ball into your body, dude. You're about to get hit. And Jordan Hicks just went, whoop, took that off. Uh, right after we had uh, secured the Hawkinson fumble recovery. Um, maybe not right after, but not there, not long after. And I think that touchdown was, you know, the, the dropped bounce off the helmet of a, a Caleb Evans. I'm just not seeing enough out of um, Josh Palmer. So it's a... Uh, pushing you in the right direction because, you know, he stepped up last, last year when we lost uh, Allen and Williams for a mm. lot of games. Sure. Keenan, uh, Justin has his chemistry with uh, Keenan and Mike and he when no one else is really seeing a, a target, but when the ball comes your way and you catch the ball, you hang on to it. So um, positive thoughts for Josh Palmer going forward, but yeah, I haven't been too impressed with him and this week wasn't too much different. All right, Jack, over to your teachable moment, my friend. Okay. Okay. Now we haven't mentioned this man at all really on the podcast. And I did ask Alistair and Andy to not mention him because I've done a bit of a deep dive. This teachable moment, we're getting into some stats here. And this is called Unleashing the Beasts. What Thule is learning from Khalil. Yes, this week, Thule is stealing all the headlines. Future Defensive Rookie of the Year, steal of the 2023 draft, just turned 21 and can't be beat one-on-one. Sign him up, let's go. Of course, we should be excited as Charger fans, but there are a few things to remember as to why Thule might be so successful thus far in his rookie campaign. And we don't have to look very far. In fact, Thule just turns his head slightly to the left or the right and sees the number 52 on the shoulder next to him. Yes, Khalil Mack is having another strong, almost totally underrated start to the season. Looking at the PFF data, Mack ranks third in true pass set pressure win percentage in the league. I'm looking here at minimum pass rushing snaps, 80% of 128. So looking at guys that are consistently on the field. He sits on a 28.6 win percentage, and the players ahead of him are Nick Bosa at 34 and Hutchinson on 29.9. He is ahead of players like Max Crosby and TJ Watt, though only slightly. The caveat here is that Khalil Mack is by far the most senior amongst the group of youngins at 32 years old. Bosa is 25, Hutchinson is 23, Crosby is 26, and TJ Watt 28. Mac, in some cases, is almost eight years older than some of the premier pass rushers in the league who get all the headlines. Mac beats his defender close to 30% of the time in true pass rush sets at 32 years old. 
Just to extrapolate that out a little bit, because some people might come at me being like, that's a small data set. Trey Hendrickson leads the league in win percentage at 35.3. He's 28 years old. Miles Garrett is second in the league with a win percentage of 35. In fact, when you do look at the wider data and the filter here I've put on is 50% of 128 snaps. This is a big list. Khalil is still six at win percentage at 32 years old. The only players who are older than him on this list are Darius Smith sitting at eighth, but he's played approximately 30 to 40 less snaps. And then Danico Autry sitting at 19th. Joey Bosa is on this list and he's sitting at 11th with a win percentage of 24. So what is my teachable moment? Tooley is amazing. He's our future, of course. He's 21 years old. He's getting hurries and sacks and wowee, it looks sexy. But don't discount nor forget the work of the unsung hero is doing right beside him. Whilst his numbers don't look as sexy in terms of sacks, hits, pressures, and his play might not pop off the screen in the broadcast, Mac is becoming one of my favorite Chargers players ever, even though he's been in the building a relatively short time. Consistent, dominant, quietly intimidating, does not make mistakes, is not arrogant, and wins his position at a league high rate, even though his contemporaries are seemingly younger, faster, and make more impact around him. Keep ball and Khalil, I love you. Class dismissed. Nice one. Well, like I said at the top of the show, the... <laughs> the, cl- the class dismissed. <laughs> Too uh, good. Anyway. Stop taking notes. Pens down. Yep. Play on. Like I said, uh, Chargers now one and two. Move on to the Raiders at home. The first divisional encounter. Just before we jump into what they've been up to, the Chargers injury inactive list reads like an ancient role of papyrus this week. Um, we've spoken about Mike's season being over big things needed from QJ and Josh Palmer return of Jalen Guyton, who knows what kind of Nick he's been in coming off his own season ending injury last year as well. Derwin James came off, had that hamstring wrapped up big worries. Bosa has his hamstring and now a toe concern. So he was limited. Aloe Gilman didn't practice a heel concern. Kenneth Murray groin, Rashawn Slater, ankle, Everett and Lindsley suffering some kind of illness. Too much kissing. Uh, positive that Eckler and uh, Hendricks, Kendricks rather, are making strides with li- their limited participation today. So that's good. Um, yeah, Staley spoke in his presser about making the right calls, about managing these guys um, in coming into the bye week. So I, I personally wouldn't expect to see Austin Eckler or uh, Eric Kendricks or maybe even do and play this week against the Raiders. We'll just um, we'll just have to see how that all goes. Yeah, like we said earlier, he kept his cards pretty close to his chest with the answers about JC Jackson. It's it's just his chalk and cheese when, when we've had a gut-wrenching loss compared to uh, when the Chargers have had a win. He's far more amiable um, and, and upbeat. Probably understandable, but divisional matchup this week. Uh, it doesn't matter where the Raiders are or how they're doing. This is always going to be, you know, a tough one, and they can they can sting us in in one way or the other. But I got to say, watching their week their week three matchup against the Steelers, I had to take notos thereabouts to get through it because wow, that was um, that was tough going. Uh, McDaniel's just scheming Adams open, Jimmy G floating the ball. I throw a tighter spiral at times than Jimmy G. Um, just just lofting crap into the air Steelers playing a really loose soft off man kind of coverage uh what did he go for a uh, hundred and over 170 172 yards off 13 catches and two touchdowns to Devonte Adams like he is a premier receiver in this league 
Jimmy G, quite flattering stats, 28 of 44 for 324 yards, two TDs, but like I said, just throws junk and had three interceptions. Um, Josh Jacobs is continuing his slow start to the year, 62 yards from 17 carries, and uh, McDaniels finds himself under scrutiny for an absurd, uh, really, coaching decision, electing to kick a field goal, trailing 23 to 15 with three minutes left on the clock. Interesting stuff to uh, to come up against these guys because the way that the teams are looking, um, it's kind of it's sort of like where the Chargers are ranked third in the in the league for pass yards uh, per game with three hundred and eight. Raiders aren't doing too badly in terms of their pass yards allowed. They're fifteenth, allowing only two hundred and twenty. Um, benefits, of course, to Josh Jacobs not. Um, showing up until the end of camp is that the Raiders are ranked 32nd in rush yards per game with 61 and the Chargers rush defense uh, 15th with 115 rush yards allowed. So uh, Al, I'll throw over to you with the Raiders strengths and the threats to the Chargers. Yeah, I, I also watched the game and I thought early in the game, the run defense was solid, particularly up the middle. So, yes, I know the Steelers kind of banged it quite a bit, but they've signed this 10-year veteran called John Jenkins from Miami, who I didn't really know much about. He's 6'3", 327 pounds. He kept on standing out to me early in the game. He's got Adam Butler and Bilal Nichols next to them, next to him, I should say. We have not run the ball well for the, the last two games. So I think a lot turns on Austin Eckler being back. If not... We need to be careful up the middle because they, they did relatively well against Najee Harris, who's a solid back. We don't need to talk too much about Devontae Adams. He's unstoppable. He's a freak. The other guy next to him is also pretty good, though, Jacoby Myers. And they were targeted 32 times between them and combined for 257 oh, yards against the Steelers. So, okay, maybe we won't stop one, but we need to stop the other if we're not going to stop the one. Nate Hobbs is a very good slot cornerback. He's clearly the best player in the kind of back seven, I would say. He's going to cover Keenan in the slot. We've got to look out for him. The offensive line's kind of under the radar solid. They're okay in pass protection. They've picked up this right guard, Greg Van Roten, from the Bills, who is playing quite well. And we all know Max, about Max Crosby. We know the Raiders. We see them every single year, two times. We know their strengths. They're going to come and play hard. They hate our guts. We just need to try and stop those real key ones, which are Devontae Adams, Max Crosby. They're the two keys. And then the other things that I've mentioned. What do you think about the weaknesses, Jack? Uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of it's been covered. I think, Andy, you touched on the running game. Uh, there was a great article by Tashawn Reed, spelt like my name, R-E-E-D, but The Athletic. Um, with him not being here in training camp, he's kind of a little bit behind, but he's so talented that that time won't affect him that much. Right tackle Jermaine Illuminor said last week, I think the more he's in the offense and the more he's rushing, running behind us, the better the reads will get and the more confidence we'll get together as a group. Bizarrely, you know, um, the McDaniels running game last year was very strong. I mean, Jacobs had a, you know, close to an all pro year. I can't, was he all pro? I can't remember if he was. He, he was, was the rushing, Russian champion. Yeah, Russian, yeah, yeah. Was incredible, incredible year. And he's, yeah, started off with, uh, he's averaging 2.4 yards a carry. Um, 108 yards, which is bizarre. Um, Alistair, you, you touched on their offensive line being a strength. So I, I tried to find some data that was a little bit different to just going through players. Um, here's 
something quite interesting. Jimmy G's NFL passer rating when under pressure is 11.6. 11.6. That's his NFL passer rating. Uh, for this season. For the Jack. season. Yes, at the moment, for the season. Yeah. So you, you, you're thinking that Mac, Bosa, and Tooley should try and get to him as much as possible. Okay, that's okay. That's great, but give give me some context there. So um, Jimmy G is down at 37th in the league with guys like Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, and Blaine Gabbert. That's how bad he is. Um, weird to see Lamar Jackson down there. But uh, So for a comparison, last week we played Kirk Cousins and his NFL passer rating under pressure is third in the league at 107.9. So he's very, very good under pressure. Just by the way, the league leader is Justin Herbert at 120.2. Um, so the Raiders, the Raiders do a good job of keeping Jimmy G clean, as you said, because they're ranked fifth per PFF and pass blocking. However, the Vikings sit there at number four, and we also got to Kirk a lot in the Vikings matchup. So it'll be interesting to see. I think we just need to get pressure on Jimmy G. And the big question is, is Jimmy G going to play? I think he was in concussion protocol. Um, yeah. So Didn't practice today. Or didn't practice yeah. today. So yeah, just just some interesting He'll things play. there. Is I think take the ball out of Jacob's hands so he doesn't get too hot and then um, put it in the hands of Jimmy G because we know he's going to make a mistake, whether it's in the first quarter, it's in the fourth quarter, but you, we've got to capitalize on what, that interception or fumble or whatever it is. So, yeah, there are yeah, some weaknesses. Big time. Well, just just in another kind of Raiders compared to the Chargers uh, league ranking, the Raiders are 31st in the league in turnover differential with minus seven, and a lot of that is on Jimmy G. Chargers are seventh with a positive uh, plus three differential. So whether he plays or not, it's interesting. Would you rather Jimmy G play sort of knowing what you're getting or would you rather have Brian Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell, uh, the latter, which you have mm. three games of preseason tape on. Uh, and he looked okay in the preseason, mm. mind you. You're playing, Good. you know, you're playing second and third stringers. Yeah. Brian Hoyer's obviously still got that Patriots connection to Josh McDaniels. So there's still a little bit there in terms of the connectivity between the two. And McDaniels is operating a system that will work for uh, Jimmy G and, well, should work for Jimmy G and, and Brian Hoyer. So it's really like... Uh, which which would you prefer to to play against? Um, furthermore, just in terms of the the Raiders injury um, injury list, Jimmy G obviously didn't practice. Linebacker Curtis Bolton didn't practice with a knee injury. The limited uh, participants, Jacorian Bennett, cornerback, who's been he was pretty handy last week. Max Crosby has a knee concern as well, which kind of tickles me a little bit. And Roderick Tamer is limited with an Achilles injury. So, look, there's there's positives to take out of those things. We know that they're going to come hard. I did notice that um, Jermaine Illuminua, uh, Jermaine the Bag of Manua, got uh, mauled by TJ Watt. He got beaten for speed, and when he yeah. when he was beaten around the edge, his hands went real high to try and stop that. So he's yeah. hitting people in the face. He gave up two sacks. Really good opportunity for Tooley with that speed to um to to hit whoever it is that lines up under center. Um, that's all for me to add on that. But what do you guys think the the keys are? If you've got any more um, keys to us getting the the W in in week four, I I do actually, and I had a look at some more numbers, and this is all predicated on Jimmy G playing. 
Uh, he loves to throw intermediate over the middle of the field and to the right. The left side of the field, if you look at the numbers, are almost completely left alone. His passer rating deep left is 39, intermediate left 35, and short left is 77. It's middle and to the right where the range is sort of ranges from about sort of 50 um, to all, so deep center, which is 135. So he loves to, he loves those quick reads on the right. You know, doesn't have to do too much. Doesn't have to twist his head too much to the, to his left side, tries to get the ball out as much as possible. You know, Devontae on those quick slants across the field, bang yards. So I think is, is just try to maybe take away those first couple of reads, know that he likes to throw over center to the right, maybe start to push him to that left side of the field where he's less comfortable. Uh, that's how I'd be um, trying to sort of set up my defensive game plan. Yep. Al, anything further for you? We need to get this rush offense going to negate Max Crosby because I don't love the matchup if we're in third and longs with Nate Hobbs on Keenan Allen and Palmer or QJ with Max Crosby allowed to tee off. So I think that's just imperative. If it's not Eckler... Kelly, we need to see the Kelly from week one. And I think there's a chance to do it, but that's how we've got to control this game because for the reasons we've discussed, Jimmy G's going to make a couple of errors per game. They don't get anything out of like wide receiver three at the moment or tight end. Yeah, Michael Mayer, on? everyone waxed yeah. lyrical about him. He's had something like two, three targets, two catches mm. through three games. And Hunter, Hunter Renfro's fallen off a cliff too. So we're going to see our old friend DeAndre Carter. So he's kind of one of the guys that they use, but otherwise Trey Tucker, a speed guy. So we can stop this team. We need to win this team. I might move straight into the prediction sure. and start. I actually tossed and turned on this one. Do you know this morning I had a Raiders win, but I've changed it this afternoon because I do think you can sleep on this game and just think, okay, we'll get to two and two at the bye. We'll beat the Raiders, but the Raiders are going to make this a hard game. I have the Chargers getting home in a close one, 27-24, hit the bye two and two, regroup, on to Dallas. What about you, Andy? Yeah, uh, the commentators in the Minnesota game, I'm pretty sure, said that the if anyone is in a rut, there's a high chance that they're going to break that mold against the Chargers. So I'm expecting Josh Jacobs to come out and have a big bruising one. Yep. They've not scored more than mm. 18 points uh, yet this season, but I see them eclipsing that this week. Um, Chargers win 28-21. I still think that our offense, Herbert's got the hot hand. I don't really rate this secondary uh, that the Raiders have. So as long as we do get a little bit more support in the pass blocking from um, inline tight ends and the running backs, I think we'll be able to allow Herbert the time and space. He also, we didn't touch on this, but he also had his fastest time to throw uh, in his career, which was like 2.26 seconds, which was just awesome. So... Hopefully he goes from strength to strength and we can dominate even without Mike Will in the fold. So Chargers win at home, two and two on the season. Feeling a lot better. Jack? I don't think we could handle both Jacobs and Devontae Adams playing well. But if Jimmy G's going to be 50-50, chances are that's going to be Jacobs that has a better game than Devontae. There's also some weird stuff going with Chandler Jones. I'm not sure if you've been keeping track of that. There's some yeah, weird stuff play. about, yeah, about him being lot, locked Mental out of his, yeah, locked out of it. And then he, he put up a weird post about Hunter Renfro today. He said something about, he posted his jersey and was like, if that if you don't look after him, I'm going to tell you where the skeletons are or something something like that. So um, 
Yeah, he's on the non-football yeah, illness so, list. Which um, let's is hope Chandler Jones is okay. Not good. And Tyree Wilson's not doing no, his so, job. Um, I have the Chargers winning in a bit of a shootout, 34-26. Um, I don't know if this is going to be an easy game, but I think Herbert has another good game and throws for three or four. Cool. All right, Bob fam. Well, have a great week and hopefully we can all join. You can join us next uh, this time next week and we can celebrate another Chargers win on the road to... What do we say at Raiders? Fuck the Raiders! Raiders! <laughs> FTR. FTR. Trust, respect, baby. Get him out of here. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. Be well. Go Chargers. Bolt up, baby! Firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, 6 and 10, 5, high step, touchdown, San Diego! Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Good night, good night to all!